Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, listen, guys, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. I am Joe McCall. And I got an exciting guest. I mean, I say that all the time, right? Like, <laughs> I, I'm so excited to have this guest, but like, I am really, really excited to have Mike Dillard on the podcast today. Uh, he's been, he's a hero of mine. I remember Mike first hearing about you at one of the first digital marketer conferences. Mm. I think it was Perry Belcher mm. was talking about some, there's some guy out there that's doing this thing and uh, you just happened to be there. And um, that's when I first heard about you. And I, the name of that company, what was it? Um, do you remember? It was either Magnetic Sponsoring or Elevation Group. Elevation Group. Yeah. And they started, they, like, they kept on talking about you the whole conference, if you remember. That must have been. I, I wasn't there, but I'm. Um, but you weren't there. Um, I should have been, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, anyway, it was, the, it was the Elevation Group. And I remember he told everybody, get out your phone, go to his website, and look at what he's doing. Wow. Um, I don't know if you, I'm surprised you didn't know that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Mike is one of the smartest guys I know in business and in marketing. He has a podcast that he's been doing. It was called Self-Made Man. Now it's called just the Mike Dillard Show. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, you guys, you got to go subscribe right now to this podcast. It's really good. Mike interviews some really incredible people. He teaches a lot, and he is, is, is phenomenal. And I'm really honored and a little, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, nervous about <laughs> this podcast. So I can't even think of the words. So I wanted to get Mike on to talk about kind of how he got started in business, talk about some of the failures he's made because he's open about that. He talks about the mistakes that he's made in business, and he's had a tremendous amount of success, but has also lost millions of dollars in the process, which is probably why he is so successful. He's willing to take those risks. And I think a lot of what we're going to be talking about applies to all of y'all. Um, like that Texas thing there, Mike? I'll do my best. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't even notice. That's, you that's didn't normal. even notice. <laughs> Mike, Mike is in Austin, Texas. But um, I think you guys are going to learn a lot, even if you're doing real estate or you're, you're, as, you're a realtor, you're a wholesaler. Uh, you're going to learn a lot just about business in general and how to get your message out there, how to spread the word about who you are. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for being yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. So, um, Mike, I remember hearing about you way, way back a long time ago, and you've had a lot of success. You have literally sold millions and millions of dollars of education. You've published things. You've, you've mm -hmm. created things. Uh, you've helped a lot of people in general business categories. You're also really well-known for marketing, um, what are, before I ask you kind of like what were you doing before and how'd you get into this place where you are now, what do you, what do you really enjoy doing today? Like you do a lot of things, you got your hands in a lot of places. What, what gets you really excited? <laughs> and, and, and even if it's driving race cars, if you want to talk about that, like what uh, is juiced? You know, you know, Joe, that's a really interesting question because uh, the, the recent failures that I have had pushing my limits uh, put me in a, in a pretty, gosh, what's the right word? Uh, a pretty difficult situation almost a year ago where, uh, yeah. essentially my nervous system broke and it's been a, almost a year of dealing with recovering from that, um, as if I'm training for a marathon. That's been my job basically is oh. getting healthy again. And so I've spent the last three to four months, uh, really trying to think about what I want to do with my life moving forward because that was life taking a two by four to me over the head and saying, hey, man, you haven't really been listening the last few years. You've been putting yourself through a lot of stress. And if you keep going down this path at this pace, you're going to probably die of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And it just took me out and put me on the sidelines forcibly. And it's given me a, a really big opportunity to reevaluate my life and what I want to do with it moving forward. 
So it's funny that you asked that because what I've been doing for the past couple of hours before our call today has literally been laying on the couch trying to figure out what my next move is and where I want to put my time and effort into, which yeah. is a first for me. That's the first time in my life mm -hmm. I've never really had a super clear vision or path as far as what I want to pursue. And I've got a couple of ideas, but um, making a decision between them is, is not really clear at the moment. So I'm finding myself in a position I've never been in before, except for when I first got started as an entrepreneur. I think every entrepreneur, when you're first getting started, you know you want to become financially free, you know you want to quit your job, and you've got to figure out what you're going to exactly do to get there, which could take a couple of years, and it could take you six to 12 different business attempts or opportunities, whatever it may be, to finally figure out what that solution and path is going to be. Yeah. So yeah, so this is kind of the first time I'm, I'm back in that situation in close to 20 years. And uh, Does that make you nervous? Are you kind of excited about, optimistic about what's ahead for you? What makes me nervous is making the wrong decision. And I'm excited about the opportunities and the ideas that I currently have. And I'm nervous about choosing the wrong one. Hmm. Um, and so... A good friend of mine and a guy I consider a mentor, Keith Cunningham, who's here in Austin. Um, you know, he's a lifelong entrepreneur in his 70s. He's been there and done that. Went bankrupt at the age of 40, had to start over again. He, he was a, uh, super leveraged in real estate, had a $100 million real estate portfolio. Market went under and he lost it all and had to start over again at, at the age of 40. And I'm 41. Um, and so he wrote a book called Thinking Time, or actually, no, it's not called Thinking Time. It's called, um, gosh, something less stupid. <laughs> um, but if you type in Keith Cunningham, my name is on, you'll find it. Okay. And the book, is, The Road Less Stupid, I think is what it's called. The, the yeah. book is something about thinking time. And he basically says, if I could go back in time and rewind my biggest three mistakes, I would be 10 times more successful than I would be today, despite my successes. So the mistakes themselves cost him more than all of the money he's made from the right success stories that he's, he's had. And I can echo that sentiment. I've experienced the exact same thing. So really for now, I'm going to continue to think on this and ponder it until it becomes really, really clear as far as what I want to do. And I would encourage everybody watching this to, to really do the same and to go read that book if you need some help yeah. with frameworks on how to do that and what questions to ask yourself. So that is challenging, isn't it? Um, I, I, do you think about the mistakes you've made though? And aren't you glad you made them in a certain sense? Because I know it sucks to lose all that money, but I look at me and I, the mistakes that I made, I, I bought a bunch of houses back before the crash and uh, I lost a lot of money. Mm. and lost my own house to foreclosure. I, everybody on this podcast kind of knows about that. I've told my story, but because of those mistakes that I've made, um, I can teach people now better the mistakes to avoid, right? I consider that a $500,000 seminar that I went to in a certain sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you definitely become wiser for them. I just wish my mistakes were not as big as they've been because they're, you know, they're all in the multiple seven figures. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's been a, a part of the stress and the learning myself because I have a tendency to put all of my chips in. Okay. And, you know, with uh, Evergrow, the hydroponic venture that I, I, I put together, I put all of my chips on the table. Uh, you know, self-made man in the, in the software development platform, we developed that all of the chips on the table. So, that's the that's the the mistake that I really need to to learn from, which is to just hey, it's okay to to not you know essentially pursue life that way and be a little bit more measured in the risk that you do take. So, do you feel like if you would have do you think like do you feel like having a mentor back then would have helped you avoid some of those mistakes, or? Yeah. Or did you have anybody that around you that you could have talked to and said, hey, what do you think of this idea? No, that was a big piece of it. Um, you know, for most of my career, I've been kind of the 
you know, at the top of the mountain. Um, and, and I, and you have your own skill set that most people don't really relate to. It's like a superpower where they can't quite understand how you do what you do. So it's hard to get feedback from those individuals and it's hard for them to give feedback. But, uh, yeah, no, if I had, you know, had a mentor that I had a personal relationship with, you know, with a guy like Keith, uh, that would have been really, really valuable, but I, I really didn't have that individual, uh, you know, in, in my life uh, during those decisions. So yeah, that definitely yeah. would have helped. Yeah. Can we talk about your, your health scare about a year ago, nine months ago? Yeah. Uh, man, you were talking about that the other day on your podcast and uh, it's pretty scary. You said something just flipped in your brain and you could not fall asleep. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of a slow buildup over the course of three to four months where I could tell my body's ability to handle my stress load was getting less and less. My sleep started to get worse and worse. And, um, you know, stressful situations would really affect me much more than they normally would in the past. My jaw would start to get really tight and I'd be walking around with my jaw clenched all day and I'm like, what, what's going on there? What's up with that? And the mistake that I made was not really paying attention to those early symptoms and I would just keep grinding. And so if I didn't get enough sleep that night, then I would compensate by having twice as much caffeine in the morning. <laughs> and, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a little time off the business during the day, take some breaks. But instead of relaxing or reading a book or laying down, I would go jump on PUBG and play competitive video games, which is even more stressful. It might, it might have been a, a mental escape, but from a, a body standpoint and a nervous system standpoint, jumping in and playing PUBG, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, a first-person shooter survival game, it's basically like your body's in combat. You're being hunted and you're yeah. hunting other people. So you're just dumping cortisol, stress hormones. But instead of running around in real life, burning that off, it's just saturating in your system because you're sitting on the couch, right? Uh, and then on the weekends, I would go race cars. <laughs> so, uh, so seven days and a week. Some pretty, some pretty cool cars, by the way. Yeah. I want to yeah. ask you about your cars later on. It's a, it's a cool hobby. I love it. Yeah. So seven days a week, my body was basically in fight or flight mode for four or five years. And it finally got to a point where I was just playing a, a game one day between work and I just felt really bad. I just felt run down and I could tell my nervous system was shot and I just felt this little switch in my head flip while I was playing. I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. Then that doesn't seem right. Uh, and that was the last time I could fall asleep. Uh, and, and when I say that people think I'm talking about insomnia, it's not insomnia. Uh, if you can imagine, you know how you feel if you've ever had to stay up 24 hours straight oh, yeah. and like, that's a bragging, right? Where you're like, man, I've been up for 24 hours. Holy smokes. Yeah. Uh, that went for on for five or six days straight for me. Uh, so one 24 hour period turned into 48 hours and then into 72 and then, in, you know, on and onward. And by day five or six, I was, you know, uh, had been on the couch all week, mentally just not even cognitive, able to really think or focus completely out of it. And then I would just roll into bed as soon as it got dark and I would try to take all of the medicines I could take, Z-Quil, you know, name over-the-counter stuff I was taking it and nothing was helping. And I just remember laying on the couch and I was like, if I don't get this fixed in the next couple of days, I'm going to die. Because uh, your body can really only go seven to 10 days without sleep. And there's a reason why the CIA uses that sleep deprivation yeah. as a form of torture, right? So... Uh, you know, luckily I called my doc, he put me on Ambien and Xanax for the first time. And I'm a guy that doesn't do pharmaceuticals unless it's absolutely necessary. And in, in this case, I was desperate. So 20 milligrams of Ambien and like, I don't remember, two to three milligrams of Xanax would get me an hour and a half of sleep. Uh, which was just kind of crazy. And that's not real sleep. That was just kind of me blanking out for an hour and a half, mm. not having dreams or a really restorative sleep and just waking up an hour and a half later at, you know, 1230, one in the morning and being like, fuck. And I'm just going to sit there and 
Oh crap. I hope Facebook doesn't boot us off because I said that because I know they do. <laughs> Don't um, <laughs> And so that got me to a position where essentially, you know, I wasn't going to die, at least not immediately. And that started a search for what was wrong. And that was the really scary part because I started calling different doctors. I started looking everything up that I could on Google and YouTube. And the scary part is that I couldn't find a single person who had these symptoms. The only thing that got close is something like familia, something, something, which is this disease that is in this small group, this small family in, in DNA pool, genetic pool up in, in Europe somewhere where something gets triggered in these, these poor folks from stress in, in life. And they literally can't fall asleep no matter what you give them. And they all end up dying. Uh, so that's the closest thing that I could find, but I was like, I don't think that's me. There's only like 10 people in the world have ever had that. Um, but the lack of understanding and hearing back from the doctors, like I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know what to tell you after you hear that five times from five doctors, it's really, really scary. Uh, because now I'm like, what if this doesn't go away? What if it doesn't get better? Yeah. What if this yeah. is my life now? What? You know, I have an eight-year-old son. I'm not going to be able to take care of him. I'm going to have to move in with my family full-time. And I can't really think. I can't speak like I'm speaking to you now. Uh, and then the medication started kicking in the suicide component. Um, and I didn't realize that until I got off of it because I was eventually able to to find some natural supplements, CBD and some other things that allowed me to wean myself off the pharmaceuticals. And that was a really big inflection point. It took me about four or five months to get there. Uh, and then my brain started to come back and then the suicide stuff started to go away. And that's really when I realized how potent those medicines are and how dangerous those medicines are. Uh, clearly they helped save my life for a little bit, but the side effects I now really had some actual understanding and empathy for people like Tony Bourdain, who was on those meds when he committed suicide, because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make rational sense to you and anyone. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wow, I get it. When you're on this stuff, it does make sense. And you don't know why, but it becomes a rational option. And so it really helped me understand folks who've gone through that. So it's been, a, it's been about 10 months now. It happened last June and I've made a lot of progress. I'm probably about 80, 90% there. I still am not falling asleep naturally without a bunch of supplements. And, uh, and that sucks, but I've made a ton, a ton of progress. And it really is just about figuring out how to release stress and trauma that's trapped in your body and your nervous system that is keeping you stuck in fight or flight and keeping that part of your brain lit up uh, the sympathetic nervous system instead of the parasympathetic. And so, you know, even right now, I feel like I've had five Red Bulls this morning because my sympathetic is just so dominant, but I've been off caffeine since this started completely. Uh, so, you know, at night it could be 10 or 11 o'clock and I'm just wired uh, and would not really be able to fall asleep without really tranquilizing myself at this point uh, with a lot of supplements. So good times. Well, awesome. That's kind of depressing. <laughs> I'm really glad you shared that though, Mike, because I know there's people out there who maybe have some symptoms similar to that or struggling with the same things. And uh, I appreciate your open, openness and honesty because um, you're well known in the uh, publishing marketing space. And uh, man, you have, you have troubles too. And if you don't take care of your health, then uh, all of that money doesn't matter at all. You know, what do they say? Yeah. You've, you never meet a um, healthy person. No, no. A wealthy person that says you'll all, how does it go? You always meet, you meet somebody who's wealthy, who will say they wish they had better health, but, but you'll never, I screwed all of that up, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Money, money is becomes irrelevant in one way. The moment your health goes away, on the other hand, money is what saved my life because I've yeah. spent probably $50,000 in the last couple of months doing different modalities. And if I didn't have that money, I would be in real trouble. Uh, 
So, you know, thank goodness that was available to me. Um, but what this really comes down to, and we're, I'm going to do either a course on this and what I've learned or a documentary or something here in the next year, because the whole part about this is, is, is not treating the symptoms. It's finding what the root cause was. So what was the root cause that drove me to take the risk that I took to put myself through the stress that I did? And, and what are the, the, the stories and the behavior patterns that took me down that road? And that's really where the magic has been. So what I've been able to go back and figure out through the different types of therapies that I've put myself through to, to fix all of this is that I've identified those stories that are all subconscious that drove me to take those risks. And I've been able to, to address that. And that's been a huge part of how I've started to get better and, and relieve my nervous system and all of that other stuff. And so there's two things that I've taken away from this one, all the entrepreneurs I've ever met are running away from a place of pain or they're inspired to do what they're doing from a place of pain. Maybe they grew up poor, maybe they were abused, maybe they were bullied, maybe they were whatever, but it takes, something that is extremely powerful to drive a person to become an entrepreneur because it is so difficult. And so that can be a really useful tool in the beginning. But if you don't get to a point where you actually go address that root cause or pain that drove you in the beginning, you start to hit the age, you know, we are hit 40. And then your body's not going to be able to tolerate that like you were in your 20s and 30s. And the second part of it, is from what I've learned is that even if you're in a really good spot, going through these processes can become a superpower. Like it can go in and reprogram your inner stories and dialogue and personal self-beliefs and remove any negative ones that might be causing self-sabotage. Uh, and they can reframe it in a positive way that can just put you on a, F, you know, a rocket um, so that's been the exciting part for me is that I've through this discovered there are some superpowers you can really go give yourself if you figure this stuff out, which I've done. And so now that's starting to get really exciting. Well, good. That's good to hear. Yeah. And you look like you're doing well. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I've got my, got my brain back and, uh, you know, I, I wear the hat cause I've still got some pretty dark circles under my eyes all the time, but <laughs> is that the uh, trick? To hide your dark circles with a hat? That's, that's I wear how, that's glasses. I wear glasses to hide dark circles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, it's good to be able to think again and speak again. And you know, a month ago, even just a month ago, I was still on the couch two or three days a week. Um so yeah. Well, good. I'm glad to see you back, Mike, and I love seeing your uh podcast. You're starting to do more YouTube videos now. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about some of how you got started. You used to, um, I think you used to be in the network marketing. Space. That's where I got my start. Yeah. About 20 years ago. 20 years ago. What, do you mind if I ask like what kind of network marketing things were you trying to sell? God, you know, I started in college cause that was around 1998, 99, 2000. And that was web 1.0. So those were the days where it's like facts on demand DVDs, CDs, cassette tapes, early, early, early. And, um, and so there, were, there was no internet marketing opportunities back then. There was no such thing as an ebook or eBay or any of that stuff, right? So um, network marketing was really the only option for a broke college kid who had 300 bucks to start a business. So that's where I got my start. And failed at that miserably for five or six years because I was very introverted and shy at the time. And so cold calling people or holding home parties or going door to door was like my worst nightmare. Uh, so I went over a period of five or six years through probably 12 different companies. You know, every six months I'd try a new one. And then about five or six years, I finally realized, okay, I'm the issue here. It's not the business or the opportunity. I'm the common denominator in all of these failures. And so I really sat back and I was like, there's been successful people in every single one of these opportunities. There's people on stage getting awards, making money. What's the difference between me and them? And what I realized finally is that every single one of those people had become a professional at some skill set. 
they were a professional at speaking in front of a group audience or holding a meeting in a hotel. They were a professional at closing people on the telephone. They were professional at speaking from stage at events. Whatever it may be, they mastered that skill set and were world class. And those were the people who were getting the results. So, till that point, I hadn't. I was just thinking the business opportunity or the product was going to be the thing that made me money. Uh, so, that epiphany was the big changing point in my life where I was like, okay, I'm not going to worry about the businesses anymore. I'm going to go master a skill set. And for me, I was like, if I'm going to stay in this business, I don't like building it the way I've always been told to build it from all of these people. I don't want to do any of this stuff. And so the only way I'm going to stay in this industry is if I figure out a way to get people to call me Mm. and pursue me. And so if I can get 20 to 30 people a day to email me, to fill out this registration form or to call me up and say, Hey, I'm ready to get started. I want to join your team. Then that would be awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll work on this business. So I went out and I started studying Dan Kennedy stuff and direct response marketing. And what happened is that no one had ever really applied direct response to network marketing, uh, especially on the internet. So I did, I was like, I figured out the whole attraction marketing piece Uh, you know, Dan Kennedy's magnetic marketing book is kind of a classic first volume when it comes to attraction marketing. And I was like, Oh, I can learn how to attract these folks to me. And then I can learn how to write a sales page and put that on the internet and let that do all of the selling and telling and objection handling for me. And then I can have a call to action at the bottom that says, if you're ready to get started, here's my phone number or my email address. And that's it. And so I learned how to write a sales copy and I learned how to use Google AdWords Uh, to advertise and generate leads. And that was the game changer. Within 18 months, I went from waiting tables uh, at P.F. Chang's to making a million bucks. Uh, 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that turned into a book I wrote called Magnetic Sponsoring, which really taught the network marketing industry how to use attraction marketing and direct response for the first time. And that book really put me on the map and, you know, the guru status, if you will. And, And then I just really found out, hey, I enjoy teaching and writing more than I enjoy building a network marketing business because at that point I had built one. Um, I'd become the number one distributor in my company and I still didn't enjoy it because it required me to constantly deal with people. And that's just not my style. I like to sit at home by myself and write. So uh, I just started really focusing on, on, teaching what I had learned when it comes to internet marketing that turned into a $25 million information business. Uh, and then I got kind of bored with that in 2000, 2009, eight. Was that the elevation group? Yeah. So 2008 or nine, uh, I was like, you know, I've made eight figures. I've become a number one distributor. I've accomplished more than I ever thought I would. And there wasn't any challenge left for me at that point. So I was like, I need to go learn something new and, and move on to something else. And the challenge that I had at that point is obviously the market crashed in 08. I had made all this money, but I had no idea what to do with it. So I blew it on boats and cars and houses and, you know, stuff any guy in his twenties would do. And the market crashed. So I saw that and I saw my parents lose all their money and all their friends lose all their money. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out this investment piece. And I need to figure out how the rich actually invest and not Main Street America. Uh, so that inspired me to start the Elevation Group. And that was pretty simple. It was uh, a membership business. It was $97 a month. And I would just interview someone, either an entrepreneur or an investor, that would teach myself and my audience how to invest like the wealthy did. So, you know, we'd look at oil and gas investing. We looked at real estate investing. We looked at gold and silver. We looked at taxes and starting a business, apartment complexes. And it was really just kind of learning investment and finance. Uh, And that business was a rocket ship. So I launched that in November or December of 2010. I had no idea if it was going to do well because I'm not a financial guy. I don't know a thing about investing. That's why I was diving into the topic. So I can't be the teacher. I can only be kind of the host or the guide, if you will, and interview the experts who are. Nobody in that industry knows who I am at all. They've never heard of Mike Dillard in the financial education space. I don't have any credibility other than what I've accomplished as an entrepreneur. 
uh, I just knew that that was what I was passionate about and I couldn't find a solution that I wanted uh, or I would have just bought it and joined that, but it didn't exist in a post 2008 world. Everything else was out of date and no longer relevant. Um, so I wrote a webinar for it, kept my fingers crossed, launched that in again into 2010 and it was just timing. It was the right message at the right time. Uh, and we did 3.2 million in revenue in our first seven days. We had eight, 8,700 people join. How, can't you stop? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Now, um, did you have like affiliates or JV partners that promoted you? Did you do Facebook, Google, well, Google ads? No ads. In the beginning on the launch, it was just my email list uh, from Magnetic Sponsoring. Um, and so, you know, I, I obviously did a really good job of serving those people and building a relationship with them and they were ready to join me on the next chapter. Um, so yeah, that was the biggest launch that I ever had. And I had no idea what to expect. I certainly didn't expect that. Uh, and then that grew to a $10 million business by the end of the, the next year. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a zeitgeist moment. It, it was just the right message at the right time because the world was still recovering from the, the crash and nobody had provided them with an answer. The only answer my parents or anyone ever else got back was just to invest more money. Uh, and I didn't really think that was responsible. So, um, yeah, if you launched it today, I, I, you know, I don't think it would do anywhere near as well. And then after we launched, we definitely had affiliates. Um, it wasn't open to the public, but we had some affiliates who, who started promoting it. And we were, we were doing about a mill a month in revenue. So... Yeah. That's so awesome. I, one of the reasons why it sold so well was because you had studied for so many years direct response copywriting, mm -hmm. which uh, that's one of the things that I think is your superpower in the business space, like being able to put pen and paper and write stuff that is simple, easy, enjoyable to read. Yeah. Um, well, good. I wanted to ask you more about your seven-figure sales presentation course mm -hmm. later. But uh, you came out with some stuff after that. Um, what happened after, did you sell the Elevation Group then? Uh, you know, that leads us to one of the biggest, most expensive mistakes I ever made was about a year and a half into it. 18, 18, our 18th interview was a guy in the Forex industry uh, who ended up being a con man. Hmm. So we, you know, gave him a soapbox and access to our audience. And I promoted his course and his investment fund and, and, and I invested money with him and uh, all of the paperwork that they ever presented from KPMG and whatever ended up being completely forged. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And he ended up essentially defrauding me and about a, a thousand of our members uh, out of a lot of money. So the moment that happened, the business pretty much, you know, took a rocket ship to the bottom. Uh, and I spent the next three years helping the government prosecute those, him and the rest of his group, essentially, who were eventually all found guilty and some of them are in jail. And uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was a disaster. So that was, the, that was the start of my stress period in life, if you could imagine. Um, yeah, so in one year, the business got defrauded. Revenue dropped 90% overnight. Uh, my business partner got diagnosed with cancer and I got a divorce. <laughs> so, um, that was a tough couple of years. That was a tough couple of years for sure. So, wow. yeah. All right. Well then what did you do after that? Uh, not much for the next two years. Drank a lot of alcohol, uh, uh, went into a depression Finally, a friend took me to Tony Robbins' Date with Destiny in December 2014. So if you've ever seen that documentary that he did, uh, yeah. I'm in the audience there. So that's the one I was at. Really? And that was a big epiphany for me where it finally allowed me to kind of start to heal and recover from that, the, 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 frankly, the trauma of going through what I went through. And uh, that's where the idea and the inspiration came for Evergrow in uh, Self-Made Man. And I had to kind of make a choice, which do I want to pursue? And, and Evergrow was what inspired me the most. So the idea for that was to 
uh, you know, build a automated hydroponic farm for your house that would grow all of your food for you automatically, which nobody had. Fantastic idea. I love that. Yeah. Nobody had ever done it any anymore. And, you know, Peter Diamandis was a big part of the inspiration for that because he always talks about how companies are decentralizing their industries and blowing things up like Uber or Odesk or 99designs or, you know, you name it, right? These companies that take out the middlemen. And I was like, well, why isn't anyone decentralizing the ag industry? We have these giant farms with tons of pesticides and poison being put into them, tons of water waste. And then we've got 18 wheelers and processing centers and then grocery stores. And I live right across the street from Whole Foods here in Austin. And, you know, obviously I want to eat healthy and you've got to frankly be quite wealthy to eat food that is not covered in poison. And I just thought that that was really screwed up. Uh, You know, the fact that if you can't afford it, you're forced to eat food that's literally covered in chemical poison that'll kill you eventually. Uh, So I was like, the way to get rid of all of that is you've got to get rid of the infrastructure and all the middlemen. So if we can decentralize it and start the farming process and end it right in your house, you get rid of all the waste, all the pesticide, all the distribution, and you lower food costs by about 90%, then it's all organic. And so there's been a few, you know, at-home hydroponic systems you can use uh, out there, which I bought all of them. That was the first thing I did was to start to do my research, and I bought all the systems I could find. And they were all a giant pain in the ass. Uh, You really had to know what you were doing to keep the plants alive. You had to go, you know, constantly keep the the nutrients and the pH in balance. You had to have these light systems that just lit up every corner of your house. And it was really, uh, you know, intrusive basically from a living experience. And so it made, it, it proved that it was possible to grow your food indoors. It just made it a, a really tiny niche of people who would be willing to do that. So I just wanted to automate the entire thing. I wanted it to become an appliance where you would just drop in your little seed pod and the whole thing would run. You've got Wi-Fi and an app and automated lighting that uh, was oriented the right way and it automatically dosed nutrients and balanced the pH as needed. So I hired uh, an industrial design firm called Whipsaw out of Silicon Valley and uh, partnered with them on the design. And and I literally kind of came up with the whole idea myself and it was a really fun exercise how do you maximize the amount of food you can produce in a given volume of square footage space in somebody's house, right? And the interesting, the, cons- the primary constraint became the standard door frame. Really? So no matter what, you've got to be able to move this thing from room to room and bring it in your house. So the, the door frame became like, okay, that's our size restriction. Can't get any bigger than that. Um, and that kind of gave us our constraints and then it's okay. How do we maximize the amount of food we can grow within this square cylinder, if you will, of volume. And that was a really kind of fun exercise to solve and problem to solve. And so if you want to see it, you can go to evergrow.com and I have a whole story in a video where you can see the unit, the prototype, which is over here in my living room. Um, so I spent the next two years developing that with whipsaw, uh, which, I paid a really high stupid tax for because I didn't know anything about growing vegetables. I just bought books on Amazon and started watching videos on YouTube. Uh, never designed a tech product, never designed anything physical. I didn't even know what, um, you know, the, what it was like to make the molds to, to, you know, form the parts. Right. Uh, I can't, there's a, there's a specific term for that. There's just not, it's evading me at the moment, but it got to a point where we got to work in prototype and now it's like, okay guys, how much longer is this going to take and how much is this going to cost? Cause I had already put well over a million dollars into it and the original estimate was 500 grand. Oh. So I'm over a mil, a mil and we're not even close. Like we've got to work in prototype, but we haven't started package design. We haven't put together a website, a shopping cart. We haven't put together the safety manuals like, the shipping containers and boxes. We haven't figured out how we're going to service these things. And, um, 
you know, it was like eh, probably another two years and another two to $3 million. And I was just like, shit. Uh, so the stress of having to fund that to the tune of about a hundred grand a month in real time. So if it's costing me a hundred thousand dollars a month in design costs, that means you've got to make at least $500,000 a month in gross revenue from your primary business. And then you're taking all of that profit and putting all of that into this other machine every single month and having to figure out how to continue that process for now, you know, over two years. So that was, again, every month was fight or flight. How am I going to keep these plates spinning and this, this machine moving forward? Um, and at that point, when I heard that news, I was like, okay, this isn't sustainable. It's almost killed me getting to this point, the stress of, of maintaining this. And, uh, and at the same time, a competing company came out with, frankly, a better product, uh, a company called Click and Grow. So they've been around for probably 10 years now. And they started with that little countertop system with three plants that you grow your basil and your minton and whatever. And I was like, man, these guys just don't get it. Like, that's cool, but they're not, they're not replacing somebody's run to Whole Foods, which is where the real opportunity is. Well, it just so happens that at that same month, they came out with three new systems that grew nine plants, 35 plants, and 51 plants. Oh, wow. And the bad news was is that their approach to growing the vegetables uh, was frankly smarter than mine, which means they could sell their system for about a third the price that ours would cost. Wow. It didn't look anywhere near as pretty as ours did, but, uh, you know, they basically had little Keurig coffee cups with the seed and the nutrients in the soil. And you just drop that in and it just grew. And obviously from a recurring revenue standpoint and a service standpoint, a reliability standpoint, they don't have these expensive pH meters in their system. They don't have pumps. They don't have sensor sensors. Um, and these guys were backed by Y Combinator. They had $20, $30 million in funding. They had 30 employees. They had scientists. And this is literally me from this apartment building Evergrow by myself with a design team in Cali, right? So I ended up talking to some, some friends and mentors at the time. And I was like, what do I do? Because I've got two options or three options here. I can keep moving forward by myself, which will probably kill me. Two, I can go raise money, but being a marketer, I'm like already formulating the side-by-side -side comparison chart of features and benefits. And I'm like, we lose in every category except, except looks. I'm like, I don't want to launch a second best product in a market. And I certainly don't want to take my friend's money to do that. Uh, or third, I just quit and shut the whole thing down. And a piece of advice that they gave me was really valuable. And that's, you know, always look for the silver lining how can you find a way to still win in all of this uh, that you might not see now? And so what ended up happening is I ended up calling Matthias, the founder of Click and Grow. And we know we talked about potentially selling them my design or licensing deals or something, converting our system to use their pods. Uh, but what ended up happening is they had an early bridge round after their A round open and I ended up investing a hundred grand in them. Um, and then pulled the plug on Evergrow and wrote the whole thing off as a loss basically. So, well, that's uh, one good thing about that is you got a nice loss to write off in your taxes, right? Yeah. You know, it's never the win you're going for, but, uh, yeah. you know, but still you take know, it. Is but the nice part is that you know click and grow is growing every quarter, and there's a very good chance that they'll have an exit here in the next few years, and I'll make you know back my seven figures that I lost. Oh, good, good. Um, That's yeah, exciting. So, so that was a really that was a really big lesson learned because most people would either keep grinding until the business died or they died or they ran out of money and ended up broke, or they would go the risky route and take on more funds, which is more stress, more risk. Uh, very rarely would they engage the competition and push in their chips with them. Uh, and I wouldn't have done that without the counsel of, of some of my mentors at that time. And that was definitely the right decision. So uh, yeah, so that was, that was the next chapter. And then after that, it was Self-Made Man and 
building the, the platform that is now over at mikebiller.com. So if you'll go to that and click on classes, you'll see we produced a whole series of 40 to 50 world-class classes with a bunch mm-hmm. of amazing entrepreneurs. And the idea behind that was to build a information business that I was not a part of because I wanted to build a company I could sell. Yeah. Um, and once again, I made another big mistake there in the fact that I built the platform from scratch to like fortune 500 level spec, put another million dollars into that, uh, you know, all these new special features. And unfortunately what you end up building with custom software is a machine that is never satisfied. Meaning if you build all these special cool new bells and whistles into it, they rarely, and I've done this three times. So I, I, I've seen it every single time. They don't just keep working, something breaks, or you make a change and that breaks something else, or you wanna split test or optimize something and that all has to be custom coded. And so if we wanted to do a one-click upsell, we just couldn't set that up in ClickFunnels or anything else. We had to custom code one-click ability, which was like 30, 40 grand in two months of time, right? Uh, So whenever you do custom software, you can bank on the fact that you're going to spend at least $30,000 a month in dev costs and maintenance. And those are not things that are bringing money in. That's just keeping the wheels on the bus. So, uh, and the the interesting part is that nobody really cared about those features. The bells and fancy bells and whistles we put all this money into, nobody really cared to use them. They just wanted the info. So I could have built the entire thing on ClickFunnels, WordPress, and Wishlist Member, which is what we have it on now as of a month ago. It looks the same. It's missing a few little features that nobody used. And I could have built the entire thing for 30 grand instead of a mil. Wow. Uh, So, yeah, so. Oh my gosh. And it looks really good. I'm looking at it right now. You guys really should go see this. Um, It's a great course. The headline here is the fastest way to build a six to seven figure business from scratch. And it's, it's for people who he says here who want to start a business, but don't know where to begin. You have a business, you're struggling with sales. And he's got interviews of people that uh, will teach this stuff. You've got Tony Robbins, Drew Canoli from uh, that green health. Organifi. Yeah. Organifi. Mike Rowe, Lewis Howes, uh, Gene Simmons, Ray, Damon John, um, Russell Brunson, some just amazing content. I've been a member of this for a while now. And it's just really good dealing with all kinds of different aspects of business from social media to marketing to even real estate. You have Brian Page on there, I believe, uh, talking about Airbnb, don't you too? Uh, yeah, we, we did an interview with him. And so there's the podcast and then there's the video classes. Yes. And like the video classes we did here all in Austin, we, we would rent out different sets and venues, you know, full 15 person production crew. We filmed every class in 360 VR. Oh, really? Um, Just because I was like, if we're going to invest in this production and this content, I don't want it to be irrelevant five years from now if things end up going in that direction. So we ended up setting up a 360 VR camera in every set. A lot of them we had live students in, uh, you know, as an audience, and we would just set up the 360 cam in one of the chairs. So if we ever got to a point where we publish it in that format, you could literally sit in the audience and look around and see the production crew and see your neighbors and all of that stuff. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. So we may or may not ever use it. We just wanted to capture that and be ahead of the game if things, you know, went in that direction. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's kind of brings us up to, up to today. We moved that over to MikeDiller.com a month ago and going through this health challenge that I've been through, you know, I've had to reevaluate uh, what I, the amount of stress that I'm willing to take on and the priority of building this big company that I can sell is not on the table anymore. It's not a priority. It's not a goal. Uh, You know, now the goal is to just do what I know how to do best, provide that value in the least stressful way possible. Uh, Stop taking the risks that I've taken over the last 10 years and and kind of trying to be Elon Musk. (laughs) Um, And just, you know, do what I know how to do and, and relax and enjoy what I'm doing. So...
Well, you're so good at it. You know, um, I did want to talk about the seven-figure sales presentation course. Do you still sell that? Is it still available? Um, the I promote it maybe like once or twice a year. The best way, if you want to find out more about that, is to, gosh, there's going to be a new homepage at MikeDillard.com up in the next seven to ten days that people will be able to opt in. It's so funny. It's like you can't even get on my list right now. I'll tell you what, if you can do this. So if you want to um, check it out, go to MikeDillard.com forward slash Brunson. And I'm giving away the class that I filmed with Russell Brunson there for free. So you can check that out and then that'll put you on my email list. And at some point I'll do a promotion for seven figure sales presentations. But yeah, I mean that course has produced some amazing results. I I was with Brian Page the other day and he uh, used my format for creating a sales presentation in that course a year ago, two years ago, had never sold anything online before and uh, has made about 5 million bucks from the webinar he wrote based on, you know, what I teach in that. So So Brian always has to one up me. Uh, (laughs) Funny because I was on a flight with Brian uh, just Mm -hmm. by accident we were sitting together and uh, we talked for about an hour and a half and I've known him for a while before that, but we were talking about you know, how, how he's doing, how's it going in business. I got your seven figure sales presentation course probably eight or nine, 10 months ago. Mm. And like you just collected virtual dust, you know, in my, in my password manager thing, went through it. And my last promotion that I just did, it made multiple six figures with it. Um, nice. And I just, I swiped and copied and uh, stole everything you just said to do step by step. It was amazing. And it was so simple. I was like, Mike, I don't know if this is going to work. This sounds way too easy. Mm. This sounds really simple. It should be more complicated than this. Um, but, you know, obviously it helps to have a good product that you're trying to sell. But if you have a good product and you're trying to sell it and you want to get to more, you want to spread the word out as much as possible. I'd encourage everybody listening to this to get that course next time Mike offers it. It's called mm-hmm. Seven Figure Sales Presentations, and it's just a basic 101 copywriting course. You can use it for webinars. You can use it for video sales letters, uh, even long-form sales letters or sales copy. You might even, if you're listening to this and you're in the real estate space, you might even use this to craft marketing messages to homeowners and sellers and buyers on selling deals. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. You also came out with List Grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a great course about building your email list. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I hope you don't shelf those. I know products have a shelf life. And this is sometimes we, we've talked about before, but they, those were such good courses, Mike. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I mean, that gets us to the conversation of me trying to figure out what I want to focus on next. And two of the three options are focusing on on helping business owners that are doing at least six figures a year. So you're making at least a hundred grand a year to take advantage of these sales strategies that I kind of take for granted that most business owners still don't know. Um, you know, or, or just focusing on selling and teaching more modern types of sales strategies and copy strategies in the age of social media. Um, Cause there's just a lot of business owners, unless you're in our little bubble, we take what we know for granted. And that was my big realization this year is, is the fact that uh, what I take for granted is actually really rare knowledge. And I it just, that didn't dawn on me until I started really asking questions, surveying my audience and my list. And like, I was like, Holy smokes, this, the vast majority of my audience still isn't doing these things or using these strategies. And I feel dumb talking about them because I feel like I'd be insulting their intelligence, frankly. Uh, so that was a really big wake up call. So, yeah. Do you have time for a few questions? I know we're over yeah. our time limit. Yeah, Is that yeah, okay? Yeah. Sure. We've got some people that have typed some questions in. Um, my friend Chris says, hello, I'm glad to see you here. Uh, he's got a question. If sales funnel 1.0 is the opt-in to a webinar funnel, and now we have more omni-channel marketing going on out there. Yeah. How do you see that evolving to sales funnels 2.0? Uh, I ask this because you did well with the webinar to a $1,500 product for quite some time. Well, like, what yeah. do you see next on the horizon, Mike? You know, the, that methodology didn't become less effective. What changed over the last 18 months is that 
Facebook advertising costs tripled. So the sales methodology is completely fine. Uh, Essentially, Facebook hit a a point where their new user growth stagnated and started to drop uh, while the number of people who were wanting to advertise grew, which means demand for their ad space and and, uh, inventory grew, and that means costs are going to go up. So we went from, you know, 3 to $5 a webinar registration to 10 to $15 a webinar registration. We went from 3 to $400 to acquire a $1,500 customer to $1,000. And the math just stopped working, not because of the methodology, but just because of the, the Facebook ad platform and ad costs. So the way around that these days is you're seeing everybody focusing on social media and organic traffic. And, uh, and doing, you know, if they're doing paid, they're doing engagement-based ads on Facebook and Instagram instead of, you know, conversion-based ads. And they're going for spending money on cost per view. And what you really need to understand and, and remember is that a very, the, probably the most significant part of selling is the amount of time someone spends with you. So for every hour somebody spends with you, you can sell about $1,000 in product. So for my Lisker webinar, it was an hour and a half, 90 minutes. My product was $1,500 and we sold millions of dollars worth of that product to completely cold strangers who'd never seen me before. And the only reason that's possible is because they spent an hour and a half with me. Uh, And so what you need to remember is that your goal is to get someone to spend an hour to an hour and a half with you. And that can be in five minute bite-sized chunks on YouTube or on Facebook or on wherever we've spent an hour together with you here if you've been watching this stream. And there's probably a really good chance at this point, you're like, Mike probably knows his stuff and I'd feel comfortable buying a product from him. Um, As opposed to the fact is if we had run this video for 10 minutes, it's not enough time. So, uh, So what people are doing is they're focusing on getting in front of their audience in smaller chunks of time, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it may be, pixeling those people and building, uh, you know, building a, a custom audience in Facebook, if you will, and then retargeting those people with conversion ads. So you might push out your video content to uh, an audience of 300,000 people who watch 25 to 100% of those videos. And then you're going to retarget the people who, you know, let's say the 50,000 who watched at least half of your videos with a conversion offer to a traditional landing page like a webinar, like a lead capture page. And your conversion rate for those people is going to be much higher than if you were to send that out directly to those 300 people cold from scratch. Yeah. So that's how we're all compensating and what we're doing now. You'll start to see if you go like my Facebook page or whatever, you'll start to see little clips from our, our classes. And once you consume enough of those, which is not very much, might be a couple of minutes, then you'll start to see call to action ads to go learn more about, you know, buying one of those classes or joining or whatever it may be. And that's, uh, that's kind of how everybody's adjusted. That's excellent. And which is one of the reasons why I love podcasts so much is the average watch time on a video is five minutes, right? The average on YouTube, the average time that somebody, or the average percentage of words that people read in a blog post are like 25% of the words. The, the attention span keeps on shrinking, but with a podcast, people on average consume 75 to 100% of each podcast when they listen to it, right? Yeah. And uh, when, what I know with, uh, on my YouTube videos, when I'm actually really teaching and delivering a lot of good value, uh, I get average watch times of 25, 30 minutes when most people are getting five. So I, I totally agree with that, and that's awesome advice. Um, being able to target people that already know, like, and trust you um, is phenomenal. I got one more question, Mike, that yeah. was texted to me. Um, scaling and team building. You've done well, Mike, with staying in your genius zone and getting others involved in other parts of the business. Many of us get stuck in the tech stuff, building out funnels and doing low value work. Is there a mindset that you continue to push on that helps to make sure that you're doing the best to stay in your zone and getting others to help you with the work? Well, you know, it, I figured out a long time ago that there are only two things that matter when it comes to making money and selling your product or service. And that's first creating a world-class product or service that 
over delivers and two, creating a sales presentation that converts. That's it. If you have those two things, you can build a $10 million plus business. And typically as the entrepreneur, that's going to end up being your zone of genius, right? For lack of a better term, because you're the one who's passionate about the product, the topic, your area of expertise. So you're typically going to be the teacher or the author. And no one is going to be able to sell that product as good as you can. Uh, the relationship is going to be with you. And so that's why mastering copywriting is such a critical thing is, is that it gives you the framework and the tool set you need to communicate what you know persuasively. Um, and crafting that sales presentation that converts is everything because if it doesn't, then there's nothing any traffic expert can do for you. It doesn't matter how good they are. If your presentation doesn't sell, kind of out of luck. So that's one of the two things I've always spent 100% of my time on, creating a world-class product and creating a world-class sales presentation for it. And then I outsource everything else. Uh, I outsource all of my tech and web work. I outsource the traffic generation, Facebook, YouTube, whatever it may be. I don't, I don't touch any of that stuff. And I let people who do that full-time work on that side of the house. And I just focus on what's going to empower them to do their job successfully. So. Good. Excellent. And related to that question is one of my favorite podcasts that you ever did with the guy from the one thing. Yeah. Uh, Jay Papa's owner, Jeff Woods. Yeah. Yes. And it was called uh, building an empire or something like that. Mm. Empire. I've always called it the empire. Yes. Yeah. Always called it the empire building podcast. Mm. I'd encourage everybody to go get Mike's podcast Go look up an iTunes, Mike Dillard, or it might still be under still be self-made, self-made man. man. Yeah. Okay. And subscribe to that podcast. Get it. A lot of really good high value content in all at different aspects of business. Hmm. Even if you're just doing real estate, this you'll find episodes that you can relate to. Um, and then whatever you can do, get Mike's seven figure sales presentation course. All right. Um, go join his list and, and send him a ton of emails and just beg him and bug him. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. If you'll send an email to support at mikedillard.com. Okay. Uh, my uh, head of customer service will see that and just say, hey, I want to check out seven figure sales presentations. So I'll have her respond and send you guys a link to the sales nice. presentation. And, and we'll give you guys kind of backdoor access to it uh, since it's not available publicly right now. So, Well, you will still sell it, right? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'll, we'll we'll yes, send you to the okay. sales page. It's just not, okay. you know, that's not posted anywhere public. So we'll have to dig up, you know, the, the link behind the scenes and we'll send yeah. you that. So I don't want you to give it away for free because people no, won't no, no, buy no. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Too I, much. I've done, I, I'm, I'm so excited because I just came out with this new simple lease options case study. I used the sales script, like I already said, for that and did very, very well. Better than I probably have ever done on a webinar before. Wow. Um, so it's exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, you're, um, glad you're still here, Mike. Sorry about your health problems. You know, man, I'll be praying for you. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope that you get better and uh, you still feel young and vibrant and uh, without... Sleep. That's got to suck. Oh, I just can't imagine. <laughs> but it's, um, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing as well. I've learned a lot from yeah. it. So, yeah. Good, good. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Again, check out Mike at MikeDillard.com. Go get his podcast, The Self-Made Man. Pretty soon, maybe as you're listening to this, the name of the podcast might have been changed to the Mike Today, today in about an hour. <laughs> ah, cool. Yeah, Go in there, get, get the previous episodes. And, yeah. Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on, everybody. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks.